Welcome back to the Cycling Industry News Podcast. This is now episode five and this episode is all about cycling advocacy. We've got interviews from four well-known respected people in the industry. But before we jump into that, we'd like to say a big thank you to Zaro Fisher. And they're now officially sponsoring the podcast. So we're looking forward to getting a lot of content from them and working with them closely over the next few months. Yeah, so be on the lookout for sort of interviews from their brand managers. And then we've got an interview lined up with their CEO, Matt Barker, um, which is a really good one. Uh, and then obviously we're going to be talking to some of their bigger brands and trying to talk to people that are sort of higher up in those companies and things and what they're trying to do for cycling and for the trade in the UK. Yeah, and a lot of interesting things coming up. Yeah, for sure, definitely. Uh, on this one, it's quite a big one. Um, it's quite political as well, to be fair. We've got a number of big names on it, so... Um, yeah, Hayley, do you want to introduce who you spoke to? Yep, I went along to a meeting in the House of Parliament with the All-Party Parliamentary Cycling Group, um, APPCG for short, and um, I managed to speak to MP Ruth Cadbury, she's a co-chair of the APPCG, um, MP for Brentford and Isleworth. She spoke to me all about how industry and government can work together to get more people on bikes, make an industrial case for cycling, something they can put to government to make it more of a priority for them to invest in. So that was really interesting. And on my way out, I actually bumped into um, Brompton CEO Will Butler-Adams, um, obviously full of opinions and stuff as usual. Yeah, so. of course he is, but no, that's, that's, a, that's a good, good listen, So. Yeah. And then uh, I actually went along to a cargo bike event that was put on by TfL. Um, and interviewed Will Norman, who is the Walking and Cycling Commissioner for London. Uh, had some pretty strong uh, sort of opinions in that, and it was pretty cool to sort of have a quick sit-down chat with him. I think it's about sort of ten minutes long. Um, but yeah, he's got some good opinions, and yeah, it was a really good chat. And um, I hopped over the road to Ovo Energy's Innovators Initiative event, which um, is basically them providing a grant to a number of different businesses who are pitching ideas on. Um, ways people can get into cycling and how to be sustainable at the same time and while I was there I chatted to Chris Boardman MBE um, British cycling policy advisor and he's also the cycling and walking commissioner for Manchester so I managed to um, get 10 minutes with him and he was really outspoken about cycling advocacy Mm. what more needs to be done and by who as well so that was really good to listen to a lot of strong opinions on that from someone who knows a lot about what he's talking about. Yes, definitely. It's a, it's a very opinionated podcast, but it's it's going to be a real good listen. So I hope that you enjoy it and do give us some feedback on it. Let's kick things off with our first interview with MP Ruth Cadbury, who explains what the APPCG is and how they advocate for cycling to government. So there's a transport committee, uh, which is a select committee of the House of Parliament, which is a formal parliamentary committee, uh, which I I am a member of. Um, But I co-chair the all-party parliamentary group on cycling, which is a cross-party interest group, uh, which is not formal, but brings together parliamentarians with uh, people in, in the cycling sector to discuss all things cycling and our I think our core um, mission is to do what we can as parliamentarians to change the debate so that more people cycle more often uh, and safely. And then like you say more cycling uh, means more bikes, how big a part of the industrial case of cycling is this? Well um, I hadn't thought of it this way until um, people from the bike uh, industry actually came to us and and, um, 
uh, it's been said that the cycle industry is bigger than the steel industry uh, and um, they've worked out that cycling UK cycling PLC as they call themselves brings 5.4 billion to the UK economy 64,000 jobs there's a bike sold every 10 seconds um, and each bike brings 1800 pounds to the economy but it also means more people cycling whether using e-bikes or uh, non-e-powered bikes Um, we're getting healthier, more exercise, that's the same thing on the NHS, lower congestion um, and uh, less pollution, you know, if if it is a shift from cars to bikes it's uh, uh, better for our our urban environments, pollution and so on. So there's there's lots of benefits, uh, some of which are kind of difficult to quantify. And how big a part do you think e-bikes in particular will play over the next few years? Well, um, from what I can see is that the, the sale of standard bikes is probably flatlining or even might even decline uh, with the growth of e-bikes and, and the big growth, as we're seeing in France, Germany and other European countries, the big growth will be in e-bikes. The question is the level of that growth in the UK will be lower than uh, our neighbouring European countries unless the government provides some real incentive, uh, such as a grant scheme. We've seen some positive moves in terms of the way the Cycle to Work scheme uh, will operate and and, uh, it it should be, it looks like it's going to be extended so that uh, you can buy a a decent quality e-bike on it. Uh, But there's um, uh, some work to do and the Cycle to Work scheme is, is own doesn't it doesn't uh, isn't applicable for a lot of people if they're not in full-time steady employment in the meeting it was touched on a bit how the industry and the government can work together in order to promote the use of e-bikes and make it more of a, a normal thing to do as opposed to just as a sport and enthusiasm thing what sort of things could the industry do um, to play a part in that well I think industry uh, needs to advertise and promote the, e- the ease of e-bikes um, in places other than bike shops because you have to have already decided you're going to buy a bike if you're going to walk through the door of a bike shop. So my point is, is uh, they need to be sort of in places where people might be thinking of buying a car uh, or not or community events or um, town centre events or, or whatever. I mean, in this, you know, you see you see car manufacturers rocking up in, in shopping centres advertising their latest fancy car. Well, the e-bike people could be doing that and could have a place where you could you could ride a bike around and try it for yourself. I, I'm lucky, myself and my fellow co-chair, we were lent an e-bike for two weeks uh, last year. And um, it really gave me a feel for what riding an e-bike is like and how I think I would probably cycle a lot more than I do if uh, if we owned an e-bike and you know we are definitely thinking of buying one but then and then we'd probably use our car an awful lot less uh, we hardly use, we don't use our car very much at the moment so it might be the trigger for us to actually stop owning a car so is it more of a uh, an education thing as well giving people an a viable alternative to say their car or to an ev is actually that people know hey you can have an e-bike and it will do this this and this yeah i think i don't think you need a word as strong as an education I, just, I think experience I think just having a go on a, be, a e-bike or borrowing one for a day so I think that's where the um, 
the the e-bike hire schemes come in because uh, it is uh, you know a lot of people will be trying an e-bike for the first time using a, 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 um, a bike share scheme. So I think uh, that that might be a trigger. But there aren't there's lots of places where there are not e, uh, bike share schemes with with e-bikes on. So um, I think I think most of us go f- take the plunge for something new if we've had a chance to try it out in uh, a kind of friendly environment and I think that I think that's what industry could do more. Obviously there's been quite a few high profile politicians who've been cycling advocates so Boris Johnson with the Boris bikes, David Cameron. So is it fair to say that Westminster itself has um, seen building movement of support for cycling? Uh, I wish I could be as positive as that. I mean, it was actually Ken Livingstone, the first mayor of, Lon- uh, of the Greater London Authority, uh, the first directly elected mayor of London, who, who, brought, who initiated what we got to know as, as Boris bikes and the, the, the first bike share scheme but you know the London's bike share scheme uh, now sponsored by Santander there um, that was I think the first bike share scheme in the UK and they're good solid bikes and I think um, from there we've, we we use we're looking at other things like Doppler's schemes and, and e-bike e, e share schemes so um, I don't know whether to what extent David Cameron and, and Boris Johnson really uh, moved the debate forward. We had the failed uh, attempt with the, the blue paint uh, uh, bike paths in, in London, which actually turned out to be more dangerous. Uh, and I don't think actually changed the demographics of who was cycling. I think we've got more work to do. I think segregated bike uh, routes, which uh, Sadiq Khan is, is implementing now with Will Norman is, is, is key, but so are using quiet ways, which Hackney, there's a lot in Hackney, um, which, you know, partly suits the different, um, the, the different types of urban area. Um, but what is, I mean, on the one hand, a lot of MPs who have a flat within two or three miles of here do cycle because it is a logical uh, way to get around central London because uh, it's actually a lot quicker than most other forms of transport in central London certainly cheaper the other form uh, the uh, so so I think I think a lot of parliamentarians are naturally cyclists at a high proportion of the population as a whole on the other hand we're all beset by constituents who are anti-cyclist and I'm really concerned about what this channel 4 uh, program this week's going to be like um, because we, we, this this anti-cycling rhetoric which you get uh, from around the country and, and particularly from black cab drivers in central London which again some MPs use a fair bit so uh, it's a mix, mixed picture and us and uh, the, the All Party Parliamentary Group are, are doing what we can uh, and we, we uh, you know I'd like to have another go at rolling out taster sessions uh, so the industry would like to partner with the All Party Group in the All uh, we could have some really good taster sessions, but it would have to be all day so that people could drop in and out. Um, uh, I mean, drop drop by because the problem with this place is is um, everybody's so busy. Uh, you, you you need a fair uh, long booking to, to get uh, any contact at all. So after the summer, what is the um, all party prioritising? 
Well, we're going to have a look at our, our program uh, this week to, 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 to prioritise the autumn program. But what I think we are going to be doing is focusing on our role as parliamentarians. I mean, we're really fortunate that our meetings here are really well attended from people across uh, the sector, the active travel sector. Uh, and we've, got some, we've had some great meetings on great subjects. They're really good networking events. Uh, but we want to focus on actually making a difference and you know there's no doubt we probably do make a difference speech here lots of questions to ministers there and so on uh, oral questions as well as as written questions but uh, I would like to be able to uh, say before I end up being, before I stop being chair co-chair of the APUG I'd like to say we made a difference uh, so I think we're going to be more focused on on two or three uh, things that we own, we can only we can do because we're here in Parliament. Um, that we wouldn't that, that that other people in the sector wouldn't be able to do. So obviously, all our work is informed by people in the sector, not just the cycling industry, but the the um, third sector organisations who do so much of the policy work and the and the and the and the, um, uh, the membership and the campaigning work. So working, I say, across the sector to to uh, inform what goes on here so we can actually make a difference piece of legislation a policy change uh, and so on well, thank you so much for your time Ruth. thank you it's been a pleasure next up we bumped into ceo of brompton will butler adams who gave us his views and opinions on the meeting so it's funny i mean if you took a bicycle from 1919 and you looked at a bicycle in 2019 I'm excluding the e-bike here. Basically, I mean, it hasn't changed. Mm. Of course, we get told by all the marketeers that it's the new latest this, that and the other, but the bottom line is there's a couple of tyres with spokes, hub, yeah. you, know, you know, rubber rubber tyres, yeah. brake calipers and, and all the rest. You look right. at an aeroplane from 1919, it was bits of wood, bit of canvas, a chat with a moustache, <laughs> tally-ho. <laughs> now you've got a MiG fighter going at Mach 4.2. I mean, the thing's off the chart and I believe after a hundred years, we are about to see a mega transformation of the bicycle and its role in society going forward. The sort of, you know, all these things are colliding. Our awareness of our own mental and physical health, the fact that we become an urbanised society and we're all living in cities. And we came up with this mad idea to do, use this ginormous metal box to get us across the city, which we can't do because it's too busy. Or we stuff ourselves under the ground where it's dark and so we're squished in a little metal tube and the air sucks. <laughs> and we're suddenly going, well, hold on, this doesn't make sense. It's not making us happy. And here's this bicycle being reinvented in the form of an e-bike, which is so delightful that it will deliver health. It will deliver a better environment for us to live with our families in cities. Um, and we just need our government to get a bit of a move on and stop being so slow to encourage it more because the evidence is there. We don't even have to guess. Just go to Northern Europe. It's there yeah. for all to see. So do you think, I mean, some people have said e-bikes are maybe the ticket for growth for the industry. Do you agree with that? So the place you need to start is a consumer. It doesn't matter whether it's a pedal bike, whether it's a push bike, whether it's an e-bike, whatever. It's all about the consumer. If the customer loves it, if it makes them happy, if it makes their lives better, if they enjoy it and use it, then of course it's good for the industry. And the main reason why the e-bike is good for the industry is because you put someone on it and they flipping love it. And <laughs> yeah. you know, all of us, 99% of us know how to ride a bike. 
but only 4% of us are doing it regularly. So let's not waste our time worrying about the 4%. We will need to be piling in to the 95% who all know how to ride a bike, but for some reason aren't. You stick them on an e-bike, they're going to just go, woo, love it, and feel yeah. that freedom and get excited about cycling again, which is what we all want. What do you think are the, the three main things that will make that happen, in your opinion? I would say, uh, as much as I would like to stuff government in their pretty early doors, I think um, they're a bit lower down. The first thing we have to do as an industry is engage, communicate, you know, animate, get out of the, 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 the constraints of the industry, which is broadly male-orientated and dealing with um, uh, the 4% who are already cyclists. We need to bust out of that and find ways to engage in the, the community that don't see themselves as cyclists, find ways to, to put our bikes in places where non-cyclists are, um, put our bikes in, into businesses, put our bikes into shopping malls, put our bikes into schools, and allow people to experience the fun of an e-bike. And that, I think, will contribute. Um, of course, we need government to improve infrastructure, um, and that is happening, not fast enough, but it is definitely happening. Um, so I would say mostly I would just stick with the two. One is to engage with the 95% um, who are not cyclists but ought to be um, or know how to ride a bike and we get them back on a bike. And the second one is to continue to encourage all of our MPs to in, in, invest in infrastructure because if you put the infrastructure in, the cyclists will come. And how important do you think incentivising things like e-bikes, um for people when they're traveling as, as a form of transport will be in, in making that growth happen? If you want to accelerate what's going to happen naturally, that is where government has a role to play. And they have done it in, in a very sort of negative way, if you like, with diesel vehicles. You know, in the, in the, they were doing it for the right reasons. They were trying to reduce CO2 emissions and encouraged everyone to buy diesel. Guess what? Everybody bought diesel. Then we discovered that it wasn't so good for the particulates, so we're all going to stop. So we know government can affect the habits of the nation, particularly in the early stages. Once it gets embedded, once it's normalised, that, 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 that support isn't needed. So you're looking at a three to five year focused um, investment from government in terms of communication, subsidy, we've got the cycle to work scheme which is brilliant that's now been raised so it includes e-bikes but not everybody is covered by the cycle to work scheme you've got people who are not in work, people who are self-employed, people who've retired so we need to find ways to engage in that community as well and, and get them onto a bike. Holding bikes, obviously you're a massive advocate for those in city centres, are they where you see the future of both pedal bikes and e-bikes going into that whole portable vehicle? So I think we are not the solution, but we're definitely part of the solution. And I've spent 17 years traveling the world, mostly hanging out on my little bicycle in cities. And most of us are living in cities around the world more and more, and guess what? There's no way we can afford a house because it's way too expensive, so it's probably going to be a flat. Or well, where do you put your lovely bike in your flat? There isn't much room. Maybe you put it down in the, in the cycle storage, but that's miles away. But then you want to go and go to work. If you're lucky, you've got somewhere at work you can store it. But then you want to go meet some friends at the pub, and what do you do then? But then it pisses with rain, and you change your plans, and actually you can't be bothered. Well, what do you do with it then? 
I mean, the, the, the delight of a folding bike is, it, is so, it gives you this wonderful freedom. You don't have to think through your day and think, well, I've got my lovely, my lovely road bike and are they going out tonight? Because if they are, I'm not going to take it because what am I going to do with it? I feel a bit anxious. You're just like, yeah, whatever. And, you know, plans change, who cares? Everyone's piling into an Uber, chuck it in the boot. You know, can't be bothered, jump on the tube, lob it, you lob it in the bus. So it has a role to play. It's not the solution, but it's part of the solution. And, you know, we're doing our best to try and create useful products. Next up, we have an interview from Will Norman, uh, who's the Walking and Cycling Commissioner. This was actually recorded on a curb in the, <laughs> the Olympic Park at Stratford at a really good event for cargo bikes. We're sitting on a curb and, uh, yeah. in the Olympic Park and it's yes. rather nice. Yes, yeah, too bad. Yeah. The weather's all right. It's a little bit humid. It's a bit sticky. Yeah, well, it's the benefit of the e-bike, I guess. It makes you less They're not sweaty. all e-bikes. They're not e-bikes. Actually, e yeah, that's true. That Some of true. them coming up that hill made me a little sweatier oh, than yeah. I am now. Yeah, yeah. okay. <laughs> anyway. So, um, yeah, no, it's, it's clear that obviously TFL's giving increasing focus to sort of the cargo bike sector, yeah. um, including sort of backing for sort of the cycle freight schemes yeah. and... And, the, and this competition, um, so can you explain a bit about this and how cargo bikes can sort of fit into the TFL strategy? Yeah, so this is part of our summer cycleways. Obviously, as you'll know, we've been investing record amounts in making our, our roads safer. And in the past, well, since Sadiq came in, he's doubled the amount of protected infrastructure on the roads. And we're on course to actually triple that in terms of what's under construction, what's built by the end of this term. And one of the consequences of that is that we've actually got way more people. We've got much more cycling going on in London. Yes. We've seen a record increase in the amount of uh, cycling that's going on. I think we just broke the, on average, four million kilometres a day, um, which is fantastic. It, it just shows that, this, that, that you know there's so much potential. Um, but you know, when you look at other cities around the world, and I've just come back from the, the Netherlands, you can see just how much more potential there actually is. Yeah, and I think one of the areas which is really exciting is the first and last mile deliveries. Mm -hmm. So you know, nobody's arguing that you can bring in sort of steel girders to build the next skyscraper on the back of a bike. But what is what is really apparent, just how many of those first and last mile journeys you can you, that, that can be done by bike, and we have a serious issues around the num increasing number of vans in London. We've got HGVs on the road, and it's, I think it's it's important that we, as a transport authority, look at how can we promote greener, cleaner, safer ways to make more of those journeys. And and it's pretty remarkable when you look at some of the examples. I know Sainsbury's did a study, and they showed they found that their deliveries were by bike were four times faster than by van. Um, I was talking to colleagues who had been doing some stuff on Crossrail and clearly you can't move the big diggers and the, some of the big yeah, stuff by diggers. But you're amazed how many of those deliveries going on the site are small drills or bits and pieces that mm. just need to come in at the last minute. They found, again, the bikes were quicker and easier and saved time and was far less impact on air quality and pollution and is, is good for our city. So I think there's a huge amount that we can see in terms of this. Getting, reducing the number of first and last mile journeys are absolutely critical. Thinking about how we consolidate freight journeys so that yeah. people can do this smarter. So today is about trialing some of those things. It's about looking, it's about showcasing the sort of bikes that are on offer. And we've been, as you said, as we said earlier, we've been trialing e-bikes, non-e-bikes, a variety of different uh, cycles mm -hmm. that all have a role in terms of moving stuff and, and people around the city. Yeah, definitely. Do you think it's, it's key to sort of encouraging these firms and companies to actually set up a hub outside of the city to encourage that last mile delivery? 
So I think you've got to have a different, a different, a variety of different things. You know, when, for example, we've looked at uh, when you look at Bond Street a few years ago, there were over 140 deliveries of vehicle movements every day just for waste, just for taking away the rubbish every day. Now, when all those companies, when all those shops and all the business worked together, they got it down to nine deliveries a day. That's a 90% reduction in carbon emissions and 90% reduction in NO2 and air pollution. Um, so part of it is thinking smartly about that. Yeah. Then there is the issue of how do you do those last mile deliveries. So that does require consolidation centres, hubs for that, space to park the bikes. Uh, so we, I was down in, uh, in, in near Tower Bridge and, and the, the business improvement district there. That's a, the group of all the businesses in that area working together, yeah, pooling some of their resources. We've given them a grant to look at how can they come up with that localised option with the space to do consolidation. Some of these sort of bikes, the cargo bikes that come into play, and uh, that, 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 I think we've got to think locally. It's part of the overall London strategy has got to be thinking locally about those journeys, but also for businesses, for people to, and, 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 and residents to be thinking smartly about the sort of deliveries they're, 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 they're getting and they're, they're, they're making. Yeah, of course. I think sort of how, I mean, with the bicycle industry, how can it sort of work with TfL? I mean, are there other areas in which you feel they can, you can work together to sort of improve the transport in the city? Yes, I think there is. So the, uh, the, the, I think the bike industry have done a great job in terms of, uh, you know, they've, they've, they're here today, they're showcasing the things, and you can see the impact. You see more and more bike, uh, cargo bikes, but also the family bikes moving around the city. So I think, you know, that they're working in partnership with, with us, being able to, we can jointly promote that side of things. But I think there are other things the bike industry can do. I'm very keen that the bike industry does more around bike security for example not necessarily connected with these bikes but all bikes that these are expensive bits of kit and we also know that if people have their bikes stolen then they're much less likely to continue to go back to cycling or they reduce the amount of cycling so why are the bike industry selling such bad locks yeah and is there a way that we could actually met the, the bike industry could play a greater role in marking and providing some of the security you know, database of security uh, tags so that if bikes are stolen they can be re- returned to people mm-hmm. so that's one example where the bike industry i think could do more the other area i think where we are working and we want to do some more with the bike industry is promoting e-bikes if you look at the growth of e-bikes um around the world we are lagging far, so far behind in the UK. So the bike, the bike industry actually just just done a report on on e-bikes, and actually, can the government play more of a role in terms of um, in terms of providing uh, subsidy for that, in terms of promoting that? So I think there is a, there are a lot of opportunities where ourselves and the bike industry want to see the same thing. We want to see more people cycling. The bike industry wants that determines the profits and yeah, the, and, the, and that for the thing. But for our city, that determines the future success of the city. So there have to be those areas of overlap between us and, and, and the industry. Yeah, I mean, obviously with the, the electric cars, there's a subsidy of, sort of I think it's a £5,000 grant, isn't it, towards if people buy them from the government. So I feel... I, I don't see why you know why isn't the central isn't government coming bike? up with that for for, for e-bikes? I think you know our electric cars are, are fantastic in terms of reducing the emissions, but they're still cars. They yeah. still pollution still comes from the brakes and from the tyres, but they're still cars in terms of the road danger issues and the the amount of congestion and the road space they take up and the parking. So I'd like to see more from central government in terms of promoting what is essentially a far greener, cleaner, and and much better way of getting around our cities through through the electric bikes yeah of course I mean what's the the ambition sort of for cargo bikes in London do you feel and what would be the best case in sort of five years time so in five years time I want to be you know 
you could I, I want to see many more of them being driven around I want to see this becoming the norm on how small deliveries are being made in local areas and the impact of that would be phenomenal in terms of reducing the amount of congestion the traffic but that is clearly contingent on a number of things that needs the demand from from businesses they need to recognize it so it's a great way of promoting the brand of the values of your of it. It, it is contingent on us continuing to build safe cycle routes and for local boroughs and councils to to get behind that and promote that as well um, and it's also contingent of people asking for it you know if you're a consumer why not ask i want my goods not to be delivered by this dirty diesel van i want it to be delivered by a bike and that that consumer power not just from cyclists but just from everybody who's interested in tackling climate change and improving our air quality improving our city that consumer power is hugely powerful and i think could play a really significant role in driving this shift we need to see yeah, of course all right well, yeah thank you ever so much for taking no, some time absolute pleasure and uh, go and try a bike last but certainly not least we have our final interview with chris boardman mbe who was speaking to me at the OVO Energy Innovators event all about cycling advocacy and the different things he's been doing to help promote it. So how important are initiatives um, such as this grant that's on offer in encouraging more businesses to look towards things like cycling as, as a viable alternative? I think the, mo- the main thing that they do, well there's two actually, one is they give people who've got an idea an option to go and develop it and as, in the bigger picture strategically big companies um, who are seeing green energy, reducing carbon footprint, and they want to be part of that for business reasons um, and for ethical reasons, that they're giving this a platform, so they're making it more visible, and that's that's really important. So, you know, the, the first one is very obvious. People who've got an idea can get help, but the second one is just as important. It, it makes it visible. You know, they, they have a reach where they can put this out, social media, and connect things like this connect lots of people who can make this topical make it something people are talking about um, and it's about innovation and innovation can be it can be changing an idea it can be an approach it doesn't have to be a gadget but if it is, it is a gadget and there's lots of gadgets around here they're the things that people read magazines about they're the things that capture imagination um, and things one of the examples that came up today e-scooters um, it's something that makes people want to get out of the car I'll go with the kids on scooters to school tomorrow. And when 30% of most journeys in the UK are less than a kilometre, that, that kind of stuff really matters. And in terms of um, advocating for cycling in particular, so how important are these tech and innovation focused companies? Almost the same answer again, really, in the first of all, it makes it serious. It'll be the bigger the companies, Ovo's the biggest independent uh, supplier of energy in, in the UK. Then, big player getting involved in this and saying we think this is the future carries a lot of weight carries a lot of weight in business um, and that's important and it, and it encourages people to go and look for ways to make this happen rather than look for reasons why we can't moving on to cycling advocacy more in generally now um, things like road safety and infrastructure obviously perhaps barriers to participation in places like the UK could we learn perhaps from Europe, certain cities, um, in the Netherlands and places like that? I think that what Europe does, so Amsterdam, Copenhagen, the obvious ones uh, were, were 30% of all journeys, all journeys in the country uh, are by bike. Uh, they're the obvious examples, but they, they, 
they serve as just that they serve as just an example and what things could be like and it's not far away and a destination wouldn't you prefer this and I think most people would say yes so I went to Copenhagen with the transport minister a few years back when it was Robert Goodwill and we sat at the traffic lights in a bicycle traffic jam and, and he said it's quite, quite embarrassing this really isn't it this is 275 miles from where we make decisions and you know we could be doing this as well um, so it, it serves as an example but it doesn't in terms of somebody in Greater Manchester just can't relate to it because mm. it's too far away they can't even relate to Cambridge where 30% of short journeys are journeys are by bike they can't relate so we need to create examples close to home to really get it and it's important to make that distinction and as far as what we can learn goes there's obviously a lot um, but we also have the caveat that we don't have the same legislation and that changes what you can do it changes what you can do with things like zebra crossings it, it, they have uh, presumed liability laws so everybody has a duty of care legally to look after those more vulnerable than themselves so that changes behavior we don't have that so there's only so much we can learn with. who in your opinion could maybe do more would it be the government the cycling industry itself mm. perhaps retailers yeah i think that well the, so take you further I mean, that could be a very very long answer um, <laughs> but i think um, so on a governmental level it's finding the the legal barriers so the thing they govern how a country works. So regionally, you can make decisions. So Andy Byrne, Great Manchester, makes devolved decisions. Local authorities have control of their local roads. So they can do a lot of stuff. But they're tied by the national rules. So there's things that we can do. Um, as a cycling commissioner, we got together everybody from around the country has a similar lead in their areas. And we agreed there was five things that government could do for us. Um, and they're quite widely publicised now. But we, how we actually value transport schemes and when we fund them. At the moment, we don't take into account the downsides for making car use easier. And we don't value the upsides of active travel. So our investment decisions are skewed. That's something the government could do. They could change the, uh, the assessment model to incorporate those things. And that would make, everything else would pretty much fall into place if you did that. Because why wouldn't you? Um, Funding-wise, stop being grants. You know, make an ongoing funding stream the, and then local councils can then invest in people, in training, and, and measures necessary to keep delivering good quality stuff. So there's five things that we've asked for that the government could do. Um, and then locally, I think you create examples, so which is what we're trying to do. And then people can get it. So if I do something in Rochdale, people in Bolton next door can go, oh, we could do that. Excuse me, we could do that here. So creating those local examples. And I think that's how it's going to change in the UK. You'll get pockets of examples and you'll get a critical mass where it starts to join up and then uh, and then government will take responsibility, take credit. <laughs> so talking locally, um, obviously in your role as cycling and walking commissioner for Manchester, um, you've obviously led the Made to Move scheme. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about that, what you hope to achieve with it? Well, I came at it from the perspective of the end user. Um, so you know, we, we talked about those lovely places and they're great and if we take anybody there and they go, would you prefer this for your kids? And they go, this is great, I prefer this, but we're not doing it. You know, we're static, 1.7%. So what's in your way? What's stopping you getting out of the car? Uh, it doesn't look appealing, it doesn't look safe. Um, I'm, I'm not doing that. So it's got to be safe, it's got to be appealing, and it's got to be easy. It's not those three things, all of them, I'm not getting out of the car. We have to remember our audience is not cyclists, got nothing to do with cyclists. This is to do with people who drive, because they're the ones who've got to change. 
and we have to offer them that. So we came up with some really simple standards for the made-to-move programs. 15 points in it, underpinning two standards where it must be usable by a competent 12-year-old and would want to be used by a competent 12-year-old. That's really important. Um, and for walking, it must be usable by a parent pushing a double buggy and they would want to use it. And if you stick to those, you're covering all the people who currently drive. And they're hard standards, actually, when you consider what they would be for your children uh, or if you were walking with your kids to school. What that would be is actually pretty stringent. But we put it in a language that people could understand and valued. So we didn't say we want more cyclists because you'll instantly go, I don't want to be a cyclist. They're the horrible people. Like they run red lights. <laughs> but if you say we're enabling people to not have to drive, mm. yeah, quite fancy that. Enabling people to let their kids walk to school and feel okay about it. So language is everything and the made to move world built around that. I suppose reducing air pollution and carbon footprint is sort of quite high on many people's agenda at the minute. Everyone's looking for ways to minimise their carbon footprint. But they're the lever for us, I think. Um, so this isn't about cycling and walking. They're just tools to get a job done. Mm. And so we know that all the big concerns we have today as a species, never mind a country, congestion, pollution, of course, climate change, changing the way you travel is the easiest, quickest, cheapest way to address it. We happen to be the best solution. So we'll take it. So the time is actually right for change. And do you feel there's um, ways in which the cycling industry, um, be that bike shops, big retailers, everyone that's involved, um, manufacturing, supplying, how can they work with organisations such as British Cycling, work with the government um, in order to form a fully formed approach? Well, in a sense, they have started. So you've got the Bicycle Alliance, which is British Cycling, um, Cycling UK, Sustrand. So all the big players have got together to work Cycling Alliance and we're going to speak with those. And that's the way to go. I think very soon we'll have a business alliance that does the same thing. You know, so we are big banks, we are big telecommunications firms. We're getting together and we are saying to you, government, we want people to be able to get around without having to use cars. And we want that for our employees. We employ you know, 20 million people and you should listen to us. And I think that kind of lobbying voice is quite possible. In fact, I think it's quite likely in the near future it will be if I have anything to do with it. <laughs> well, thanks very much for speaking to us. Thank you very much. All right, cheers, guys. Thank you for listening. I hope you've made it through this one. Um, there's some really good opinions in this and it's definitely all about the cycling advocacy so if you've got any sort of opinions on it yourselves then do let us know you can uh, find all our details at cyclingindustry.news also on Facebook and uh, yeah hopefully you enjoyed it and we'll catch you on the next one cheers